Good morning, Journey. Good to see you all. My name is Chris. Really glad you're here. Uh, I was just, as I was standing back here creepily behind the curtain before I came out, uh, I, was, I was noticing my, my friend Bob. You might know Bob Schwann. He's our lead pastor. But I noticed him sitting with his family. And it, it just reminded me of, of why I so value the opportunity to share preaching with our lead pastor and why that's such a neat thing for us as a church is to sit here and then look out and find him sitting with his family just together worshiping and joining in on this. And so uh, I know it's a unique thing that we're doing now as a church as we split that up, but it just kind of caught my attention like that. That's a, that's a cool thing. And I think that's making its way into just the way we view uh, what it means to be a spiritual family in a community. I mean, we got another pastor up here with his family too, Sam Bennett's over here. Like, man, it's just a, it's a really special thing. And I think that's uh, helping define who we are as a, as a church community as well, that, that we can be a family in the way we do this. So that wasn't planned, but really cool. Glad you're here, Bob. Uh, you find us in the, the third week of Advent. And Advent is the, the season in the church calendar that leads into Christmas. And the word Advent actually means coming. And so it's a time in which we stop and we wait and we pause and we anticipate the coming of Jesus. And so it's why over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus is coming to bring justice, to forgive sins, and today to renew love. We're reminded of, of why it is that Jesus came, and then we're hopeful and anticipatory towards the things that Jesus is going to come and restore and do as well. And so it's a, it's a unique season, and it's a special season of time for me because I don't think I do a very good job um, slowing down. I don't think I do a very good job of just stopping and looking to the right and to the left and, and realizing that God is with me in the waiting, that God is with us in the waiting. We already sang about that, but what a, a reminder that is for us too. And so in the midst of the hustle and bustle of a, of a commercialized season, one in which we love and we celebrate for sure, Advent is a, is a beautiful time to just stop for a minute and remind ourselves that we're anticipating the coming of Jesus again while we celebrate the coming of Jesus already. And so today we'll be looking at the, the beautiful picture that Jesus is coming to renew love. So we're going to read from 1 John 4, 7 through 21 together, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll let the Spirit guide us in the way of love, and we'll see where that goes. Sound good? Okay, here we are. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7. Here's what John had to write. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, 
We have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Let's pray. God, we thank you for just the opportunity to come here this morning, to, to be reminded of your love for us, to, to stare it in the face perhaps again, uh, freshly, God. We thank you that you allow us space to do that. And so I pray that, that as we sit here this morning, that we would open up our hearts and we would open up our minds and when we would receive your love afresh, God. And I pray that as we move from just even like the, the cliche of the word love to the deeper understanding of your love for us, that we wouldn't encounter that love and not be moved to love ourselves. And so do that work in us, God, by the power of your spirit. We know you're already here. We know you're already moving. And so we welcome you and we ask for you to continue to make us more like you, to grow us in perfect love. God, I pray that I would speak your words this morning, that I would say things that are only for you and from you, that honor you and make much of you, God. That's our prayer for this time together, that it would point us to you above all for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if Jesus is coming to renew love, then naturally I begin to ask, what is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Right, don't hurt me. No more, I can't, I can't ask that question without just that song playing in my head. Uh, it has nothing to do with the sermon though, but as 1 John 4 was guiding us, right? It, we, we encountered the word love over and over again and we look at Jesus' entire life and the way it demonstrates how God loves unconditionally and selflessly. Like this is love, we know that. I know this in theory, you know this in theory, right? As in it makes sense in our brain. We get it, you didn't have to come here and have me tell you, hey, God loves you, so love God and love people. You, did, you knew that, right? Like there's something in us that already understands that. But what I wanna do is I wanna help us drive this brain belief, if you will, deeper into our souls so that it becomes the very core of who we are because it is the very core of who God is. Right, John wrote that. He said, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. But for some reason, it's not enough to just read those 15 verses and for us to go, oh yeah, I got it. Right, like the, the, the truth is though, we all long 
to take hold of being loved. That's, that's true. That's a deep set need in all of us. And we all want our lives to be full of love and action. Of course, we want to live that in the world. However, when we say it, often in settings like this, it can feel a bit ethereal, right? Out there, like that we can't quite grasp it. And so we come back again asking, well, what does it really mean to love? What does it mean to be loved by God? And what does it mean to love others with that same love? Right, if the words were so simple to understand, then we'd all be a lot better at doing it, right? So how this morning are we going to paint a picture then that allows us to access love in a fresh, meaningful way without it being cliche? I have two theological concepts I want to introduce to you to renew our view of love. They're gonna be words that maybe many of us haven't heard. And so Brandon was telling me earlier that I look extra smart with my glasses on which was actually a backhanded compliment of him saying, I do not look smart when I don't have my glasses on. (laughs) But I will receive it for this morning as I introduce to us two two unique and and perhaps new theological concepts to give us a, a more robust or rooted view of what this love is that we are talking about. And so I believe, I believe we're prone to losing the fullness and depth of love to a cliche culture. Right, but also an English language that lacks the proper substance for a concept such as the love of God. Right, like we, we use the word love for everything from hobbies to food to celebrities to technology to each other. Right, and, and as a result of using love like that, the power of love has essentially been stripped down to be a description for things that we think are pretty neat. Right, like, oh, that's neat, I love it. And then that's just how we use the word. And so of course, if we use the word in all of those instances, when we try to bring it back to what we just read in 1 John 4, it's lost some of its power. It's lost some of its meaning. And so the first theological concept that I want to introduce to us today is called kenosis. Kenosis. And kenosis is the doctrine of Jesus' self-emptying in his incarnation, which is, as I was thinking more about the definition that I included for that word, it's like, we just have to define all the words with the definition. So maybe it's not that helpful. So here's this. This is what kenosis is. Kenosis is the self-emptying love of God. Okay, so I'm gonna say kenosis and self-emptying love interchangeably, okay, to to help us have a fuller understanding of this. But you don't have to understand it just yet because I'm gonna unpack it as we go. So kenosis is the self-emptying love of God seen in the picture of Jesus coming to earth, okay? And the other theological word concept that I wanna introduce to you is perichoresis. And I didn't put this one up there because it seemed like one vocab word was enough to include. But the idea of perichoresis is is this idea that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit move together as one, right? So para, P-E-R-I, is like perimeter or round. And choresis is like movement or dance or choreography. So it's this like divine dance that God has with himself. And what a way that we could think of it, it's a mutual kenosis, right? A constantly emptying into oneself. 
It'll make more sense as we go, okay? But you've got the picture of God moving in a divine dance with this self-emptying love happening between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Already your idea of love is like, huh? So here you go. We're gonna, with that in mind, I'm gonna read a little bit again of what I read in 1 John 4, but now you have a different view of this. He says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world, that is emptying himself, that is the picture of kenosis, so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other, empty ourselves for each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. He has emptied himself into us as well. So kenosis or self-emptying is revealed in the Trinity who is present in this portion of scripture we just read. God the Father who is love completely empties God's self into the Son. The Son empties into the Spirit and the Spirit empties into the Father. Incarnation flows from this kenosis that's inherent in God's nature. This is who God is, always emptying himself out of love. And as we'll celebrate in a week, 2,000 years ago, God revealed the human face of love through baby Jesus. And that baby grew up to be a man and Jesus then taught us to follow him down the path of humility, servanthood, and surrender, the ultimate emptying of himself. Or as Paul writes about Jesus, he says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, but emptied himself, being born in human likeness. So as the Trinity reveals, right, that is the, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, life and love are poured into us so that we may pour into others. This is an ongoing cycle. It is in giving that we receive. This is precisely what Jesus modeled for us in his life, death, and resurrection. But if this isn't quite there for you yet, and you're like, I did not come for a seminary lecture, well, let me say it like this. Another way of describing kenosis is letting go. Cynthia Bourget calls it the Jesus trajectory. And the Jesus trajectory, she says, is a path Jesus himself walked to the very end. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right, with his betrayers and accusers massing at the gates, he struggled and anguished but remained true to his course. To not hoard, he did not cling to not even life itself. Right, let it go, let it be, not my will be done, but yours be done, Father. The last words he utters is, into your hands I commend my spirit. Right, again, he empties himself. Then Jesus came, right, and then Jesus went. And this was what he did all along, giving himself fully into life and death. Losing himself, squandering himself. 
And it was not a love that was stored up, but a love utterly poured out that opened the gates to the kingdom of heaven. It's the picture. And she builds on this thought when she says over and over, Jesus lays this path before us. And there's nothing to be renounced or resisted, right? Everything can be embraced. The catch is that we would cling to nothing, that we would let it go, that you go through life like a knife goes through a done cake, clinging to nothing, picking up nothing, sticking to nothing. And it's then that you can pour yourself out being able to give it all back, even your life itself. That's the path of kenosis in a nutshell. Very, very simple. It only costs you everything. But I haven't made this up. I didn't just infer it from nothing. The apostle Paul writes about this when he writes to the Jesus followers of Philippi and Philippians 2. Verses five through 11, here's how he says it. You can imagine he's even saying this to us now. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we read Paul and we ask again, diving a bit deeper still, why is kenosis so important? Why should this matter? The scholar Hak Jun Lee passionately states this. He says, kenosis has profound significance in Christian theology. It refers to the very disposition of the triune God who is the communion of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The, the, the picture of love is so much fuller when we look at it through this lens. And this is where we find the picture of perichoresis. Right, the, the mutual emptying among the three persons of the Trinity. That is, God exists as communal love through a mutual self-emptying, a mutual pouring out. That is what love looks like. Or if you're like, okay, quit saying kenosis, fine. I'll say it another way. God is always making room for others. God is always making space for others. Because here's the thing. God is eternally inclined to create, to give and to share life with others. And this welcoming of others, it's rooted in the triune life of God that spills over, so to speak, with the act of creation from the very beginning. Creation was the result of the kenosis of the triune God. He poured it out. Everything that was created is an extension of what God poured out, out of love, out of self-emptying love. God graciously allowed all kinds of creatures and humans in particular to exist alongside God and to grow and thrive in God's love. 
Just when John wrote, right, that you would grow perfect in love. What a beautiful idea that you would grow and thrive in love alongside of God. That's the invitation. And so kenosis isn't an isolated incident in Jesus' incarnation, but a key to the mystery of God as communion in all of God's economy, one in which he's always emptying and always giving because that is love. That is what God is always doing, always emptying and always giving because God is love and that is love. But as with all things in following the Jesus trajectory, at some point we must be compelled by the love of God, to live the love of God. Or as we often say it around here, we must be led to radical love and action like Jesus. It has to come out of us at some point as well. And Hak Jun Lee has this to say about that. He says, the idea of kenosis has a surprising social relevance at a time when numerous marriages and families are breaking down, communities are disintegrated, and relationships are turning into utilitarian contracts. People are hungry for long-term, genuine relationships of trust and affection. We long for a community of good company. And this thirst for belonging and genuine friendship cannot be quenched, as we often know, by money or instant sex or power alone, can only be satisfied by genuine love. In genuine love, this love that we're talking about has this self-emptying quality, right? The quality to go out of oneself in goodwill towards others, to release from yourself what you have for the sake of someone else. And only love with such a quality as that can nurture trust and friendship. Trust and friendship needs that kind of love. And I think today we as people are beginning to realize that privacy and tolerance and individualism and self-assertion alone can't build a community Those things will not sustain us. Individual bricks alone cannot build a house. We need mortar that holds those bricks together. And so to build a community, we need to move beyond individualism and invite others into our hearts through self-emptying love. That is what holds us together as a community. That's the thickness that makes us one, that unifies us. And so the message of self-emptying love reminds us that the church, and that could mean this one too, is a spiritual family whose mindset and logic is different from the world's, which is just a really good reminder for us to remember that the, what this thing is is supposed to look different than the logic of the world. The church operates by the logic of radical love, not power. The church is the place where the rich share with the poor and the powerful empower the powerless. The church is the place that is accommodating and liberating the space where life and love grow. Just as human life grows in the space of a mother's womb, all life is to live and thrive in the womb of the church. And so therefore, the church should welcome and offer space for all because by nature, the church 
The church of kenosis rejects all forms of domination. We are always making space for others. And the, the keepers of our brothers and our sisters in this world, what we do is we can't be afraid to be a voice for those who have no voice, especially those who are exploited and often left behind, the poor and the displaced, the oppressed and the marginalized. Or to maybe even put it more bluntly, to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had looks foolish to the world. It just does. And so perhaps... You want nothing to do with this upside down life of following the Jesus trajectory of self-emptying love. But if you do, then we must ask the question, how is this way of life possible? And the answer to that question is the attitude of Jesus becomes ours only through the work of the Spirit. Our kenosis, our self-emptying love and life is only possible when God's reign takes deep root in our own lives through the spirit. And when our hearts are filled with thankfulness to God's love and conviction in the final victory of God, that's when it starts to take place. And we realize that kenosis is not duty, like it can't be coerced. It is only freely given. And so ironically, the self-emptying or the kenosis is the fruit of overflowing love made possible through Jesus. That's where it all starts. And it in us is as voluntary as it was in the case of Jesus who willingly went to the cross. If kenosis is possible then, it should ultimately be a natural overflow of our lives in response to God's love. That's where it comes from. That we would so fall in love with God and so receive the love he has for us that we can't help but empty out that love to the world around us. In trying to intake the depth of God's love, we learn that kenosis then is not a theory, it's not some fancy word, but a practice that emulates Jesus' own life. This is what defines him. And so in that, I want you to take heart in the idea that it takes time for a self-emptying pattern to settle and mature and grow in our lives. That's why I'm so encouraged with what John wrote that we already read, right? He says, perfect love grows in us. And it will, it will blossom and it will mature and it will happen, but it takes time. And so in order for that to grow, to have this attitude, we need to grow in community, we need a spiritual family around us, one that exposes us to such living examples of this love. Think of who you know that this is true of their lives, that they are constantly pouring themselves out. Now get around those people. Be with those people. It's like Paul often said, he says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Sometimes we need somebody to show us what that looks like. And as we're inspired by the examples of self-emptying love around us, then we begin to practice kenosis type of love. It might start with a small circle of friends, maybe a missional community, or maybe even your next door neighbors. It could just be your family at home. But the thing is, we must begin to form the Jesus habit. For this is the love we are called to receive, and this is the love we are called to give. 
And so as we prepare, as our time comes to an end, to give Jesus the last word and reflect on the self-emptying love presence and the dance of the Trinity, I wanna leave you one last time with these words from John. He said, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Let's take a moment and you can set your stuff aside and we'll just be still before the God of love. Perhaps today you need to focus on receiving that love. Perhaps today you need to focus on giving it. Or maybe you're in a spot to do both. Take that time and I'll close this in a moment. As we sit here and reflect on the love of God for us and move towards receiving it and out of that overflow, move towards giving it. I wanna pray the words of Ephesians 3 over all of us. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.